Welcome to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. I'm D.T. Kane, author of the epic fantasy series The Agersfar Saga and The Spoken Books Uprising. Each week, I read from one of my novels, discuss my writing process, answer your questions, and have general discussions about fantasy fiction. It's like a book club, except I do all the work for you. Find show notes, info about all my novels, and much more at dtkane.com. Here's the show. Hello, everyone. We will uh, get to this week's reading in just a moment here, but uh, just a quick prologue to the episode. Uh, I actually recorded uh, this episode uh, before Christmas of 2022, if you're listening in the future, but um, with everything I had on going over the holidays, uh, I just didn't have time to edit it or get the episode out. So uh, one, I just wanted to quickly apologize because I'm pretty sure in the last episode, I said I was going to keep putting out episodes over the holidays, and that just turned out to not be the case, so uh, sorry about that, and also just wanted to give you some uh, some context for some of my ending comments at the end of the episode, since uh, they're really going to be applicable to uh, a few weeks ago instead of uh, the present time, but uh, other than that, uh, we should just be able to carry on, like this is an ordinary episode. You'll see, of course, that uh, <laughs> the background for the the video is different. I was uh, back at my uh, at my parents' house in my uh, my childhood hometown, so a bit of a change of scenery. But uh, otherwise, the the narration should be just the same as always. And since we've been off for a couple weeks, uh, just uh, to quickly uh, kind of set the scene here, the uh, the last chapter we read was chapter twenty six of Declaimers Discovery, and. Uh, Baz uh, saved Liana from being killed by Maeve and Emma, but uh, he realized that Liana would still pick the conservatory over him ultimately, so uh, he helped her escape by riding off into the, the distance on a horse, but he did not go with her, so now Baz is with Maeve and Emma, and they are just entering the city of Fortune, and, uh, you know, we... We'll see how different Fortune is from erstwhile, and then Baz is going to meet some of uh, Maeve and Emma's co-conspirators here, and uh, we'll see where things go from there. So, hope you enjoy listening to Chapter 27 of Declaimer's Discovery here, uh, and I hope you all had a happy and peaceful New Year, and uh, just wanted to say thank you to all of uh, uh, my listeners there. Uh, the fact that uh, people are downloading my uh, my stories and listening to them and enjoying them, you know, that's you know the reason I write in the first place and uh, put this podcast out free of charge. Because, like I've said before, look, I'm uh, you know I'm hoping one day to make my uh, my writing a, a full time uh, profession here. But you know, I also write just because I have stories to tell and I want people to be able to to listen to or read them no matter what, so uh, I'm happy to keep putting out this podcast. I'll be putting it, putting it out again for the, for the coming year, and just uh, thank you for listening. I uh, really appreciate all of you and your interest in my work. So uh, with that, here is Chapter 27 of Declaimer's Discovery, Part 2 of the Spoken Books Uprising. Part 3, Chapter 27. Baz pulled down the brim of his hat for maybe the 77th time since they'd entered Fortune. Stop that! 
Emma muttered beside him. I didn't give it back so you could give us away with your nervous twitchings. I told you, the yellow feather Mafe put in your hat marks you as a midwife's assistant. Don't give anyone reason to think otherwise. Everyone in fortune wears hats. It's no cause to be anxious. Sorry, Baz muttered, crossing his arms in an effort to keep them from wandering back to his head. He didn't deny he liked wearing his hat. But in erstwhile, a speaker seen covering his brand might as well just walk up to a reader and ask to be whipped. Could she really blame him for being uncomfortable? The motion of folding his arms caused his worm-tooth necklace to dig into his chest. One of its teeth had chipped, and it scratched him if he moved the wrong way. Still, he'd been relieved when Emma had returned it to him. He scowled at what that might mean, though that didn't keep him from folding his arms even more tightly to make sure it was still there around his neck. Emma did seem to be right about hats and fortune. Bass had never felt sun so strong in his life, and it was already headed toward sunset. It glared down from a near cloudless sky with a vengeance, and nearly everyone they passed had some sort of head covering, be they hats like his or simple rolls of lightly colored cloth wrapped about their heads. He even saw some speakers wearing caps. Those were brightly colored and bore the symbol of the speaker's branch of the Trinity. Squeezing his hands beneath his arms, Baz tried to relax and take in fortune, Oration's great city on the ocean vast. For some reason, Baz had expected it to be just like erstwhile, probably because erstwhile was the only city he'd ever seen, but that couldn't have been further from reality. The differences began with the clothing. In erstwhile, everyone wore drab colors and it was usually raining and cold, so cloaks and heavy woolens were favored. The people walking down the streets of fortune, however, wore ensembles that would have raised eyebrows and made women gasp back in erstwhile. Beyond the hats nearly everyone donned, the clothing was made of the lightest cloth Baz had ever seen. Much of what he saw would have been considered underclothes in erstwhile. Hopsack wools, loosely woven linen, sheer silks. Some of the clothing the women in particular wore. Were they trying to make him stare? Stop that, he chastised himself. Who was he to judge what others wore? In fact, he wouldn't mind trying out one of those lighter tunics himself. He'd left his cloak back at the stable near where they'd exited the Iron Dragon. The stable boy had looked at him oddly when Baz had simply given the garment to him, telling him it was too hot for a cloak. That was certainly the only reason he'd given the garment away, had nothing at all to do with who'd given it to him. The stable boy could use it for a horse blanket for all Baz cared. It was the colors, though, that really stood out about the clothing of Fortune's denizens. Like walking through a carnival. Brilliant reds and yellows, lavender, shades of blue he hadn't even known existed. And perhaps he just imagined it, but there seemed to be a more relaxed air about the people he passed. Everyone in erstwhile always seemed in an awful hurry to be wherever they were going. Not so with the people meandering down Fortune's streets. They stopped to browse at vendors or merchants who had canopies set up outside their shops, and the banners with pictures proclaiming what was for sale were painted in colors just as bright as the local clothing. 
Some people even seemed to be conversing happily with one another. It made Baz nervous, so much apparent contentment. Fortune couldn't be that different from erstwhile. There were still readers, speakers, and illits. What was hiding beneath the smiles on all these faces? There was at least one person who wasn't smiling, though. Maeve's expression had as much in common with a weathered gargoyle's features as it did a living woman's. Telling Baz that he'd just started a war had only been the beginning of her diatribe after Liana had escaped. She'd called him a fool in more ways than he'd thought possible, using curses Baz couldn't have made up if he'd tried. "'You just consigned thousands to death,' Maeve had said. "'Ruined years of planning. You are a selfish, pig-livered, wool-eyed, pea-soup-for-brains nincompoop.' She'd berated him until she'd shouted herself hoarse, all the while Baz expecting her to slice his throat at any moment. But when she finally couldn't shout any more, she'd turned to Emma and snatched Baz's hat from her hands. Emma had apparently taken it with her from the Iron Dragon. Maeve had plucked one of the feathers out of her hair, shoved it into the hat's band, and mashed it onto Baz's head with such force that his neck still hurt hours later. She'd then given Emma another of her feathers to braid into her own hair, then stormed away in the direction of fortune, saying nothing further except to mutter several expletive-laden sentences about how the groves of Ur had been ruined by the factories the fools from fortune had built there. It had taken the better part of the day to walk to fortune. When they were within sight of its walls, Baz had wondered how they'd get in, erstwhile perpetually kept its gates shut, and visitors had to have some reasonable explanation for seeking entry. Bez's worries had turned out to be unfounded, though. There'd been such a crowd flowing into Fortune by the time they'd reached its gates that the guards had barely given them a second glance. Emma had speculated it must be due to the upcoming Congress, but Bez half-suspected it was just due to how large Fortune was in comparison to erstwhile. It took a special kind of person to live in the dreary shadow of the daggers back in erstwhile. Fortune, right along the ocean vast, was a far more popular, and thus populous, destination. The city's architecture was as startling as its fashion. Everything in erstwhile was functional, practical, stone and brick, most roads packed dirt, Fortune, in stark contrast, looked as if its architect had stolen the contents of the city's treasury, melted down the precious metals, then used them to construct the buildings. In the afternoon light, the sun reflected off surfaces everywhere Baz looked. Even the facades of seemingly ordinary shops had shining metals running through them, forming complex latticework and grids. And the height of the buildings... In erstwhile, Xavier Tower was a singular, towering landmark. Here, it seemed even lesser nobles possessed estates with towers at least as tall. Many were in a style Baz had never seen before, narrow cylinders that bulged into globes at their peaks, like eyes on stalks. In the distance was a trio of spires that Baz thought likely to be taller even than the great library in Tome. He didn't need anyone to tell him that that was Liamina Library. Seeing it brought knots to his stomach. Those towers looming over the city were an all-too-prominent reminder of the mad task that had brought him here. Even Fortune's smell was something altogether new. 
Oh, there were the typical city odors. Fortune didn't diverge from erstwhile in that regard. Aromas from bakeries and taverns mingled with sweat, garbage, and excrement. If anything, the aromas were amplified, fortune being so much warmer. But there was also a tang to the air that had taken Baz some time to place. Salt, he'd finally realized. He'd never been close enough to the ocean vast to have any experience with such a scent. He couldn't see it from here, walking down congested city streets, but he thought he knew what to expect. Water as far as the eye could see in every direction. Water that you couldn't drink. Water on which you could sail for weeks or maybe months or even years without ever seeing land. Folks made such a big deal of the ocean vast's wonder, but to him it just sounded like a giant death trap to be avoided. One thing was missing, though, and it bothered him the deeper they progressed into the city. Where are the readers? he murmured to Emma. She shrugged, obviously unconcerned. They keep to the reading district, she said, lips pursing. All the libraries are clustered on a single cul-de-sac on the city's western edge, and I expect, too, that since the uprising you told me about, the readers are even less inclined than they usually are to leave their own walls. And he'd thought the readers in erstwhile made an effort to avoid mingling with the common illits. Baz likely would have asked more questions, but the tolling of what sounded like the largest bell he'd ever heard made him nearly jump from his boots. It boomed out over the entirety of the city like a great beast roaring to the heavens. Busted ink vials! What is that? The clockwork tower, Emma said, as if accustomed to hearing such things on a regular basis. Reader's folly more like, Maeve muttered. The pair of them might as well have been talking in the old tongue, for all Baz understood of what they were saying. He vaguely recalled the deliritus once going on about something he'd called a clock. He'd apparently seen one in Xavier Tower and been lamenting that Torchsire would never be able to afford its like. But Baz had no idea what the word meant, and why was Maeve smiling to herself? This way. Maeve took a sudden turn down a narrow alley, and Emma grabbed Baz's arm, jerking him to the side so they didn't lose her. The less pleasant city smells intensified as they hurried down the passageway between buildings, Baz's boots splashing in puddles, the contents of which he didn't wish to know. The precious metals that had covered the facades of buildings just moments earlier were totally absent here, and while he'd found the main streets congested, that had been mainly due to the number of people. Here, the walls of the buildings to either side seemed to be collapsing in upon him. Baz almost felt the need to turn and walk down the passage sideways. They stopped in front of a rickety wooden door with a knob and lock that seemed just recently installed. Emma, hold this! Maeve held out her longbow. Emma scowled and didn't immediately move to comply, which, of course, drew an icy stare from the old woman. As a seeker, you might have had a claim to equal footing with me back on the Iron Dragon, girl, but here in Fortune, I'm in charge. Emma tried unsuccessfully to match Maeve's glare. Cheeks coloring, she looked away and took the bow. Maeve grunted in what might have been thanks, then began fishing through her pockets. She produced a key and used it to unlock the door, then entered without announcing herself. 
Baz looked at Emma and cocked an eyebrow. She shrugged and followed Maeve inside, the longbow looking ridiculously large in her small hands. Baz glanced up and down the alley before sighing and going after Emma. He entered into a single rectangular room centered around a hearth on the back wall. A fire blazing there provided the only light in the room, enough to see a couple smaller rooms off this main one and a stairwell leading up along one wall. Likely this had been, or perhaps still was, a home for a small, ill-lit family. Now, however, it was packed tighter than a barrel of salted cod. People sat on benches, leaned against walls, lounged on the floor. They wore the same colorful, minimalist clothes as many of the people he'd seen out on the street, though most seemed worn, the colors faded as if they'd been owned for quite some time. It appeared that, until very recently, they'd been carrying on a dozen private conversations, but now all eyes were on them. Baz was surprised to see many of the gathered individuals wore hats with marks of the Trinity on the bands. No, it wasn't quite right to say everyone was staring at them. Rather, they were all staring at Maeve. At least, they all seemed to want to stare at her, though anyone within her line of sight was obviously averting his or her eyes. Well, Baz could understand that. He'd known the woman for just a handful of hours, and he'd already suffered the chill of her glare a number of times. He doubted he was unique in that regard. Upon entering, Maeve strode immediately toward a portly man sitting on the only comfortable chair in the room, a twill lounger with wooden arms that had seen better days. He'd risen with a grimace as Maeve approached, wincing as if the movement pained him. Maeve addressed him curtly, and he responded rapidly, dry-washing his hands all the while. "'So soon, midwife Maeve?' The man's high-pitched voice contradicted his girth, and he spoke the word midwife like one might address a reader. He was bald and took a moment's pause from rubbing his hands to wipe sweat from his pate. "'Circumstances have changed, boys,' Maeve gruffed. "'Surely you've heard about the Congress.' "'Of course!' Boys responded, eyes dancing about the room as if seeking a hiding place for Maeve's domineering presence. Well, what better opportunity than when the reader's attention is focused on that? I suppose, and besides, there's also been an event. Maeve paused a moment to glower over her shoulder at Baz. He raised a hand in acknowledgement to her, which obviously wasn't the right thing to do, as her stare went from merely a glare to shooting daggers. Bass shuddered and let his arm drop back to his side. "'An event,' Maeve continued, turning back to the bald man. "'That's necessitated we act now. No, no, we'll speak of it later. Have you brought the books?' At the mention of books, the man drew up his shoulders, causing his neck to completely disappear, reminiscent of a turtle hiding in its shell. Baz understood the man's trepidation. He wasn't branded or wearing a hat bearing a mark of the Trinity, as so many of the others in the room were, so he wasn't a speaker, but he certainly wasn't a reader, either. No reader would cavort in such confined quarters with so many speakers. So he was an illit, and an illit touching a book was nearly as bad as a speaker doing so, and the penalties just as steep. Yes, as requested, midwife Maeve. They're in the back room. Good. 
Go get them, and we'll begin. Boys appeared grateful for any reason at all to get out of Maeve's sight, even if it involved books. He rushed away to one of the side rooms. Emma, Baz said, turning round slowly to get a good look at the room. Now that the initial clamor over Maeve's appearance had faded, a good number of the folks assembled in the room were staring at him and Emma. Actually, it seemed mostly him, and most of the looks weren't exactly what Baz would classify as interested in taking him out for an ale. Unexplained newcomers aren't exactly welcome here, she murmured to him. Oh. He grimaced as it began to dawn on him just exactly what this was. Bloody burning books, he muttered. It's like I've walked in on Oog's band of snakes all over again. Oog's? Emma asked. Just a speaker I met a few days ago in Erstwhile. He's got a small group of speakers and nillets who er well, let's just say they aren't too fond of the readers. You mean, there's a resistance like this in Erstwhile, too? He looked around the room, trying to avoid the many suspicious glares aimed his way. There were far more people here than at the snakes meeting, and the percentage of men who could shave and women who were old enough to wed certainly far exceeded that of the baby-faced rebels in erstwhile. But nearly everyone still looked just, well, ordinary. These people were going to try to overthrow the reader's regime? Despite the angry stares, Baz could see the haggard bags under many of their eyes, the poorly mended rips in their clothes, the telltale sag in the shoulders that one only attained after a life of thankless hard work. The Harpers wouldn't even need their razors to stop this bunch. No, Baz finally responded to Emma. There certainly isn't anything like whatever this is in erstwhile. Whatever this is? Emma said crossly. This is everything, Baz. Can't you feel it? Baz glanced around before shrugging. What I feel is like I haven't eaten a scrap in days. Emma's hands went to her hips. You have got to be the worst rebel I've ever met. Whoa, whoa, Baz said, pushing his hands toward Emma as if shoving away her previous statement. Who said anything about being a rebel? They execute rebels. I'm much too concerned about staying alive to be a rebel. Emma laughed, though she didn't take her hands off her hips. You can say whatever you want, Baz, but you're one of us now, a warrior, and I'm not going to let your acerbity ruin the moment for me. We're at the start of history here. The start of history? That sounded no safer than being a rebel. And had she said he was a warrior now? As in... The same warriors who'd been executed by Duke Farston for their uprising at Galfet Library? Before Baz could ask Emma for clarification, boys returned with a sack full of what could only be books, their sharp edges poking angles in the fabric. The room immediately went silent, and many of the onlookers, particularly those with brands, eyed the bag with obvious trepidation. "'My warriors!' Maeve proclaimed." She'd moved in front of the fireplace and raised her hands over her head. The time has finally arrived. All our close-mouthed suffering, our bitter waiting, our agonized planning. The fruit of liberty has finally ripened, and you are its farmers. The gathered readers and illits cheered. Emma joined them. 
Baz glanced over his shoulder to calculate how quickly he could reach the door. Five days hence, the hoarders of words will convene that body of oppression they dare call a congress. Their eyes will be turned from us, and the exterminating angel's hour will be upon us. The enigma takes flight, the crowd, including Emma, repeated in unison. There probably weren't more than fifty people in the room, but they were packed closely together in the small space, and the sound boomed off the low ceilings like the battle cry of an army. Bass tried to take a step closer to the door, but bumped into a woman whose frame suggested she was a mother many times over. She muttered a curse and pushed him back to where he'd been standing beside Emma. "'So tonight we seal our pact of fraternity,' Maeve continued. "'The unification of the oppressed and illiterate for a common purpose, "'for it is only together that we will topple the tyranny of the hoarders of words.' Maeve signaled to the side of the room, and a pair of thick-armed men dragged an iron cauldron to the hearth beside Maeve. "'And to oversee the ceremony,' Maeve said once the men had set down the kettle and backed away, "'Our brothers and sisters from Tome have blessed us with the presence of not one, but two seekers of transcendence.' Gasps escaped the lungs of those assembled. Maeve pointed at Baz and Emma, and all eyes followed her bony finger. Baz unsuccessfully sought to hide behind the shorter Emma, and in a flash of complete illogic he wished Liana was there. She was taller than him. The foolishness of that thought ought to have made him laugh, but instead his throat tightened and he had a sudden need to scratch at his eyes. "'The woman,' Maeve said, "'is none other than Seeker Emma Pilgrim, daughter of the Madam Scrivener herself.' More murmurs from the crowd, and several people aimed deferential nods in Emma's direction. She was obviously attempting to remain stoic, but a smile tugged at the edges of her mouth, and there was rose in her cheeks. "'And the other is Seeker Bastion,' Maeve paused, leering at Baz, before adding, "'Dragon Rider!' The assembly went silent as a grave, every pair of eyes in the room seeming ready to fall to the floor and roll away. Then people began kneeling. Actually, judging by their bowed heads and the way they all made the sign of the Trinity, genuflecting might have been more accurate. A few even prostrated themselves. What in the name of the scribes? Baz looked to Emma for some sort of explanation, but she looked just as surprised as everyone else had after Maeve had named him. She looked at Maeve, who, for some reason, had a self-satisfied glow about the corners of her eyes. Then Emma knelt down in front of Baz, too. If Baz hadn't been so flabbergasted, he'd have sprinted for the exit that instant. A dragon rider, Maeve repeated. Just as the Enigma himself took flight from the burning on a dragon's back, so too has this man, Bastion Dragon Rider. The exterminating angel smiles upon us, someone cried from the crowd. He'll deliver us to freedom, another shouted. The gathered individuals rose and began to crowd around Baz, reaching out as if touching him might heal their ills and bring reality to their dreams. A young girl asked if he could bless her. Bless her! He wasn't sure if that was a euphemism or just complete lunacy, and he didn't care. Another man with a dark beard enthusiastically reached out to shake his hand. Was he wearing a uniform from the Indomitable Army? 
an officer's uniform, judging by the four golden slashes of rank stitched over one shoulder. Dozens of other hands reached out to touch his hair, arms, back. Baz tried to turn and make for the door, but there were hands in every direction, grabbing at his garment, shouting thanks while at the same time keeping him from the one thing he wanted, the safety of anonymity. My friends! Maeve's voice swelled over the crowd and the paroxysm of ardor subsided as heads turned back to her. The pact must yet be sealed. With fire and ash, we will bind ourselves to our task. The books will burn, the crowd repeated, just as the snakes had done, gathered around their barrel beneath erstwhile. Boys, Maeve prompted. The pudgy man waddled forward under the weight of the sack of books, stopping beside the cauldron and resting the load on the pot's rounded edge. After an anxious glance to Maeve, he upturned the sack, dumping the books into the kettle. Bastion Dragon Rider, Maeve said. She glanced into the cauldron and plucked one of the volumes out of it. She held it out in his direction. Will you do us the honor of lighting the fire that binds us? Baz tried to keep his lower jaw from slamming into the floorboards. Why was she doing this? She was making him out to be something akin to a deity, even though he was almost certain that she'd rather kill him in his sleep than sit down to a meal with him. Emma put a hand on his arm. Like I said, you're one of us now, Baz. It's time for you to accept that. His first reaction was to jerk his arm away from her. She hadn't been the one holding the knife, but Baz was pretty sure she'd have supported Maeve killing Liana if it had come down to it. After all, Emma had been ready to go galloping off after Liana. How could she say he was one of them? But what else did he have? His secret was revealed, or at least on its way back to erstwhile with Liana. Once she exposed him, his home there was lost. He'd never again enter its walls. Tax was as good as dead to him now. He'd never see his brother again. Deliritus would be executed for concealing a cuss and rocks likely along with him as a conspirator. And he could forget about Liana ever associating with him again. Every single person he'd ever spent any time with was now lost to him. He looked away from Emma through blurred vision back to the book in Maeve's outstretched hand. This wasn't one of Rox's enigmin false choices. He could say no. They probably wouldn't kill him if he did so. Probably. But what would he do? He couldn't hide the brand on his forehead forever. He'd have to run, live in the wilds. He'd be dead in a matter of days. Not that joining this bunch offered much better prospects. He didn't even know what their plan was, but he knew it would likely end in a bloodbath of severed limbs upon the edges of Harbor's razors. Baz peered around at the assembled men and women. Save for their eyes, they could have been retirees. Most were thin, clearly underfed and mistreated, and they had that look in their eyes, the look of ones who'd grown so accustomed to disappointment and emotional torment that it was just accepted as normal, not even something about which to get upset. But these people weren't retirees, and this wasn't some basement apart from the real world. These were able-bodied men and women, and this a house, mere planks of wood separating them from the readers who thought themselves deservedly above all others. 
Tax had once told Baz that the one thing that truly separated speakers from the readers was that they kept their word. That was a nice thought, an ideal Baz had internalized without really knowing it. But he didn't agree with his brother. He'd met plenty of speakers who'd lie themselves right out of their britches if it suited them. No, there was only one thing a speaker, or an illit, or any man or woman who didn't have some fancy title in front of their name, had that readers didn't. Decency. You had to cling to it, or else how were you any different from the ones who called you a slave? The decency to understand that every other man and woman in the world has feelings and desires and deserves a bit of dignity, just like you. The decency to say thank you when good is done and to apologize for the ill. Would a decent man turn down what Maeve and Emma were offering? Baz stepped forward. He took the book from Maeve's outstretched hand. Hello, friends. Welcome back to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Today is December 23rd, 2022, as I record this, which is... Uh, episode number 23 of season 2 of the podcast, and big episode number 50 overall. Um, I don't really have anything planned special for the 50th episode, but it's uh, it's amazing we've come this far together, and I'm uh, looking forward to many more episodes here into the future, and definitely throughout the upcoming, upcoming new year of 2023. Uh, you're joining me today from my... Uh, <laughs> my childhood bedroom, though it didn't look quite as fancy as it does now behind me. My mom has uh, added some of her knickknacks and paintings to it. <laughs> but uh, I am home for the holidays, so I apologize. Slightly uh, lower video quality here than normal. I'm just uh, recording on my wife's uh, older laptop here and you know, through my microphone <laughs> in the bag. So... Uh, sorry for the, uh, sorry for the video here, but hopefully the sound is still good, um, as ever. Um, I don't really have any after show planned out here today. I haven't written a quote of the week down or anything, but I just wanted to get on for a moment to wish everyone a, a happy holiday and a, a pleasant new year. Uh, I'm glad I was able to get this episode out despite traveling, so I hope you'll, uh, forgive anything a little bit out of the ordinary with the, uh, the recordings or the uh, the video here. Um, so that's really it for today. Uh, if you're interested in getting yourself a, a last-minute gift, you can uh, head over to payhip.com slash dtkane for some autographed books, or uh, you can support me on Patreon at uh, patreon.com slash dtkane. Uh, otherwise, we will uh, be back together again next week reading Chapter 28 of The Claimer's Discovery, and we'll see... Uh, just what happens with this ceremony of rebels that Baz has found himself involved in. Uh, so till, until then, uh, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, or you know, have a great whatever other holiday you celebrate, and uh, we will get together again next week. So until then, this has been D.D. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Thanks for listening to D.D. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. If you liked today's episode, please consider rating and reviewing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, give this video a thumbs up if you liked it and hit that subscribe button and the bell so you get notified whenever new episodes become available. If you'd like to listen to back episodes or review the show notes, visit dtkane.com podcast 
D.T. Kane's novels are available for purchase at most major online retailers, or you can purchase directly from his website at www.dtkane.com books. You can receive a free short story and sign up for D.T. Kane's mailing list at dtkane.com email dash sign up. If you'd like to connect, you can find D.T. Kane on Facebook at D.T. Kane Author or Twitter at D.T. Kane Author, or send D.T. Kane an email at dtkane at dtkane.com. See you next week.